Hi, I'm Jason. I've had successes and what I felt like were epic failures. At each point, it was the people I walked with and learned from who helped me through. On my podcast, What Works, I interview authors, educators, executives, and people who work to change the world. I walk for a moment on their journey and learn from them. For me, that's what works. This is the What Works with Jason Todd podcast and videocast. Today, my special guest is Greg Githens. He is an author of How to Think Strategically. He's also a leadership and executive coach. And I've seen uh, that he travels around the U.S. doing seminars, teaching people how to think strategically, which we're going to get into today. Welcome to the What Works podcast, Greg. Okay. Hey, well, thanks much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. So you're in Florida, and I hear originally from Ohio. Which one do you like better? <laughs> well, I like I like both. To tell you the truth, you know the the story of why I'm here, why I'm here in Florida, is that my wife liked the winters in Florida better than the winters in Ohio. So she kind of made that decision, and and here I am. Uh, I've always just said, you know, get me to an airport, and and I'm I'm good. Um, I, I miss some of the things about the snow and the winter and all of that, but I got to say that walking out outside in January in a t-shirt. It is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that is something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I'm I'm up in northern Illinois, and uh, I think it was two some two winters ago. I think it hit negative thirty, and then mm-hmm. and then I thought, why do I choose this? Yeah. Why, if, of all the places I could go, mm-hmm. so you so you do you travel around the U.S. Uh, talking about strategic thinking, and your book, How to Think Strategically. Super interesting to me, and you you you've developed this thought. When how did you, how did you come to this point where you're like, I'm going to write how to think strategically? Yeah, well, the, the, the threads of strategy and innovation go back to early parts of my career. Actually, my undergraduate training is in science. I have a, a degree in microbiology. Uh, and through life's various journeys, I, I early part of my career was doing science kind of stuff. But I was at a fast-growing entrepreneurial company where they, they said there, you know, one year's worth of experience here is three years anyplace else. I found myself getting thrust into developing innovative new technologies and helping the organization figure out what where the future was and how to try to position itself and develop some business so that it, it could grow. And I had my own ambitions, which I think caused me to look inside and say, well, what kind of person do I want to become? Where's, where's my career narrative and where's all of it going? And, and so that's where a lot of the story really starts. Um, I've always had the desire to write a book, and I have written a book as a co-author before, but this is my first book under, uh, under my own name. And in short, uh, one of my big learnings was that you've got to have a big idea if you're going to write a book. It's easy to come up with ideas, but it needs to be a big idea uh, that's compelling and attractive. So the idea behind this book is that strategic thinking is an individual competency. And that if you are, as an individual, have this competency, um, it's valuable. And also, it's rare that as much as people talk about the virtues of, of strategic thinking, you're actually going to find that it's pretty rare and it's in demand. So a, a lot of this was just simply 
being in tune with my readership and knowing what they want, they want to grow their career. They want to add more value to their organizations. And um, my experience in standing in front of doing seminars, people say, can you tell me how to do this? This would be great. And, and about five, five, six years ago, this really kind of coalesced into saying, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to find a publisher, uh, get my ideas really put together and push the button and, and make the whole thing happen. And I, and I was really uh, fortunate that uh, Maven House Press picked up on the book and said, yeah, we'll give you a form. And it's worked well since then. Were these, these, these were thoughts then that you put together before you wrote the book? Or did you come to this idea of like, hey, I want to put this idea for strategic thinking together and then I'm going to research it and compress it into a book? Okay. Well, it was sort of both is, is that I had a lot of ideas about strategic thinking and strategy and all of that that were sitting out there. And, and here's my naivete. I go, oh, yeah, I've been writing about this topic for a long time. I'll put it together 18 months. I'll be done. And it's out there. And it was five years. And so there was a part of the book that took place that as I, I really started to get into trying to say, how do I express these ideas clearly and in a way that the, well, I think the average reader can get their arms around this and, 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 and move beyond the abstractions and find a way that they can personalize this and internalize it. It was a lot of writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting and, and so forth. And uh, that's, wh- that's why it took a lot longer than I ever thought it would. One of the things I noted in your in your book is your style of writing, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you said you know you're you're a scientist, and it seems to me maybe that you are a scientist just innately. Um, you you have uh, a highly outlined type of writing. So, for instance, in your preface, your preface is broken down into sections, and that's not that's not my experience in a lot of books. A lot of times it's just pages and pages of preface, which, which is um, sometimes I find to be interesting. And sometimes I find to be sort of like you had to write a preface <laughs> and, and you instead break it down into these bite-sized chunks uh, and then even recap. Uh, I think it's in the preface. You recap each chapter in a paragraph, exactly what you're going to pull out in each chapter I find it to be, I don't know sure if the word is analytical uh, or it's, it's simply highly organized. It's just broken down very concisely. And I find that, I find that style to be interesting. It's pleasing to me because mm-hmm. it's how my mind works. Yeah. But wh- how, how, why did you do, do it that way? I think that, that first off, my first obligation and duty is to my reader and, and to help my reader uh, get through these things, knowing that this topic is a very difficult topic. It, it's, it's an abstraction, right? Yeah. And so how do, we, how do I help people work through these abstractions? So one of them is, is obvious, and every, every public speaker knows this. You need to tell your audience where you're going to be taking them. Yep. And you need to give them some ideas of, of what they're trying to do. One of the things that I talked about in the preface is called meaningful learning. And, and I know this because I've taught a lot of seminars. People go to the seminar. They have a great time. Oh, good speaker, good stuff. But they go back, and it just kind of evaporates. Yeah. You know? it, one of the challenges of learning is to figure out how to take new knowledge and to anchor it into your mind, to build a scaffolding into your memory. So in the preface, I talk a little bit about what's called meaningful learning. And I just briefly mentioned that driving a car involves some strategic thinking. It involves anticipation of where you want to go, 
but also awareness of all of the other vehicles around you. And I note that you've read books about people who have been successful in their lives in leading a business or a military campaign or whatever. So, so within each of us, there are lots of experiences that we have that invoke in some sort of way strategic thinking, but yet they're not quite sufficient. So, so I'm trying to say this is the starting point. And then as you get into the book, I'll help you build onto that scaffolding some things that will make you more effective at what you're doing what you want to do. Yeah. Well, you, you did it well, I feel, um, which is one data point, right? <laughs> uh, but it's, but it's meaningful to me. And that's, and, and I think one of the things also that you talk about is this idea that strategy, there's strategy and there's a goal. You, you tease that out in, I think in the context of your, what I write down in my notes I think you're a lover of words and definitions because you're very clear about certain words and certain definitions. Where's that come from and how does that relate to this idea of strategic thinking? Well, words, words obviously matter and words are the ways that we lead. It's the rhetoric that leaders have and and it's in the nuances of the words. I start off chapter one with a question and answer. And and, and the question is, what is the one factor that is overlooked by even the most experienced of all strategists? And the answer is ambiguity. Ambiguity is about how we make sense of the world around us. And one of the things that leads to a lot of misunderstanding for communication is that we use different words or one word can have multiple different meanings of this. So if we want to make sense of the world around us and we want to come to an agreement in our sense-making as we work with others, we really need to start with words. We need to say this word in this context has this kind of meaning and find some sort of shared understanding of that. Otherwise, you'll you see this in all kinds of organizations. People are pulling off in different directions based on their narrow interpretation of the, the same shared experience that they have. It's getting that agreement is, is ever so difficult. So one thing I think is important to notice then is, is strategy is a lot about sensing, bringing in signals, and then sense-making. So there's an individual sense-making, but eventually there needs to be a collective sense-making to pull that alignment that everyone says is so important to getting things done in organizations. So when you think of this idea of words and definitions, and I agree with you, I, I, uh, I use the example of love. If I were to say, I love someone, and they say, I love you back, those words might mean different things right. based on our own experiences and what we've, what we've evaluated from our own lives. There are certain boundaries on these, uh, these words. That, that we don't necessarily share until we define them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're, that's what you're doing in, in your book. You're, 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 uh, you're slicing and dicing some of these words to make sure that we really understand where the word, you know, where the word fits. And then you're doing it very, I feel like it's analytically. Mm-hmm. Is that, I'm, is that, I, 
you're saying? Yeah, well, it may feel academic to say that, but I think that if you are going to be a thinker, if you're going to have acumen, you have to be willing to peel the onion back uh, and, and go in a little bit deeper to that. So I, I think it's really important that we have an appreciation of nuance. And, and so one of the ways that when we can look at a strategy, I, I would claim that a nuanced strategy is better than a generic strategy. So that when we look at an individual and say, is he or she a good strategic thinker? Or if we look at an organization and say, do they have good strategy or bad strategy? Well, one of the ways that we make that distinction is in looking at the nuances. So it goes back to the context, like your example of just saying, I love you. Well, is done in, in, in a context. If you're saying that to a romantic partner, that context helps us to know what you, what you really mean. If you're saying it to one of your, your, your buddies that you're just come off the, the, the golf course of, I love you, man, you know, you know that to be a different context. Mm-hmm. Where, did you, where did you first start seeing this stuff in action? Because I feel like at some point in time, because I think you've been a, a leadership coach for mm-hmm. quite some time. Right. Um, where, where did this shift start in you, or has it always been there? Because you're a scientist, I know that. So you're always evaluating, and you're yeah. you're trying to fit things into their own into good definitions. To some extent, yeah. How did this develop? Well, I think the the big question to ask is what causes success and what causes failure. Okay. And years ago, I started a little informal project that that in asking audiences and people, I started saying, what is it that causes a project to be successful? And what is it that causes a project to fail? You know, so everybody kind of knows that. And you start to get back to some common things that are factors that cause success and, and factors that cause failure. Okay. And so this is a kind of important to my definition of strategic thinking is that there's four pillars. And, and the outcome of strategic thinking is success in the future. So however you or any of your listeners to find success in some sort of future state is I think very, very critical to understand what strategic thinking is about and also to understand what organizational strategy is about. So at any rate, long story short is I started doing some things like that, just asking my, the questions of audiences to try to get them to pull back and say, it's not simply following a methodology, but the most important tool is between your ears. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that a bunch of academics are actually doing some really outstanding work in this field. And that once you start to dive into that a little bit, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's there in front of you. It just needs to be discovered. And I, I think part of my responsibility is to help people discover what those things are. Because frankly, people don't want to dive into all the academic papers. They don't want to do all the research. They, they want it served up to them fairly nice and neat. Yeah, which is... I think a starting point, but experience and probably particularly evaluated experience is where the change is made. Mm-hmm. You know, the lessons start to become internalized and then, uh, and then are, are uh, found to be successful. And then those start to be, those start to become part of you until it's second nature. I get this idea that, you know, this idea of strategic thinking and how you work through things has become second nature to you in a lot of different ways because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's so clearly so clearly articulated. How do you go about your learning process? How, 
that's because it's you, you have this process of evaluation. So if you're collecting a lot of information, mm-hmm. how do you organize it? How do you keep track of it? And how do you build out your, mm-hmm. your future strategy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of it starts with stories. There are stories of good strategy and successful strategic thinking all around us. And the principles are found by picking apart the story. It's not just a, a, she came, she saw, she conquered, and all was good. But it's to really start to dive, to dig into a whole bunch of factors, one of which is simply decision-making at critical moments. Do we understand why she made a decision to do this rather than that in this particular story? And that's where you start to see some of the things of the way they organize their thoughts, the way they start to move their resources around. That's where you really start to see strategy. So I just like to look at stories and then to unpack that story in a way that I can see where the decisions are made and where things are reconfigured and then look at the results of that. Recognizing, of course, that a lot of times it's simply luck. Yeah, you unpack that as well. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> who was it? it was ben, Benjamin Franklin I think who said luck favors the prepared yeah uh, which I find to be true yeah I think it's also a mindset that people look for uh, maybe it's a teachable mindset I think it might be that people can look for opportunity and people can look for connections and um, and you unpack some strategies to to help a person figure out or to to not figure out but help a person to think strategically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you did it. I think you did very well. One of the, one of the first ones is curiosity. Yeah. How, what, how does curiosity play into this for you? Okay. Um, well, look, I'll back up and to say that I think one of the most outstanding features of my book yeah. and for anybody that is picks up a copy and look at it, I'd encourage you to look at the 20 skills, 20 micro skills of strategic thinking And the very first one that I describe in the book is curiosity. Um, And and, and everybody knows what curiosity is. You know, we've seen it in ourselves. We've seen it in our children. We've seen how organizational culture tends to drive the whole thing out. Um, But one of the techniques I talk about, you just mentioned Ben Franklin, and this is called, I call it the Ben Franklin technique, is you spend one week focusing on each of the micro skills so that it starts to become a habit of mind. I usually start people off with curiosity because it doesn't take a lot of explanation to know what curiosity is all about. But the basic idea is the more curious you are, the more apt you are to become a, a, a good, competent, strategic thinker. The more apt you are to notice those interesting little weak signals that are out there that may have a greater effect in the future. So um, I, you know, I, I just tap into my natural curiosity and, uh, but I, but I always think I can be improving upon it as well. You know, I just don't sit back and uh, see that as, Oh, okay. Well, I've always been a curious person. It's how can I be an even more curious person? Yeah, and, and, and do it with the idea that I'm looking for something useful and valuable as well as just simply being playful and, and whatever other kinds of things that come up with curiosity. Because, you know, one of the big challenges we all have is that we're inundated with signals. Yeah. And how do we pick out the signal from all the noise? There's no easy answer to that, but it's to be aware that that can be a problem. But you, you have a framework that you put into place 
uh, to help pick out the signal for the noise uh, in, as part of developing a strategy. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to what I said earlier. It's about sensing and sense-making. So another micro skill is uh, an open-minded stance. It's to be aware, and this is one of my biggest personal problems, I tend to do what they call steamrolling. I tend to think I have the answers, and I just rush over other people and what they think, and it's to stop and say, no, I want to find out what that other person can teach me and, and, and what little insight or data point that they may have to look important. So it, so it, it goes along with that, not just simply saying, I have all the answers, but it's to have the humility to say, there's so much that I don't know about what's going on. Yet nonetheless, it can't be an academic exercise that I somehow I have to be moving towards something that's useful in value and leads towards that pillar of success in the future. Yeah. One of the things I changed in my mind some years ago, because I have that same tendency of steamrolling, I think because I my mind and my natural curiosity and, and ability to make connections tends to tends to lead me to become not an expert, but leads me to know a subject matter pretty quickly and pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and then I can evaluate whether I will care about that and keep it around in my life or whether I'll throw it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I adopted in my mind was the stance towards um, instead of going into a situation saying, I, I know what I'm talking about, or I know, I know this, right. Um, I go with the stance that I'm wrong. I don't know in what ways and to what degree. And that enabled me at least to hold more loosely to things that I knew yes. were right. Because there's nothing about, uh, I think there's a the book, um, might be the book, You Are Not So Smart. And it talked about a professor years ago, 9-11. The day after 9-11, he had the presence of mind to have all of his students write down uh, everything that they had experienced the day before. Everybody they talked to, what time they were, where where they were at, right? And everybody wrote a paper, basically, on this thing. And a year later, he had to come back and write the same thing and then compare. And it turns out everybody's memories were about 50% different. And the the point of it was that over time, our memories warp, they shape, and they reshape into making me more of a hero, yeah. uh, making uh, making feelings and places and circumstances that weren't there, and even memory transference. I might take a memory that as actually some story you told me and embed it in my brain subconsciously, and it'll become my memory. And I'll say, oh, I was there doing such and such. And it even happened to the author as he was writing the book. He wrote a whole a whole sequence of events, uh, and then he was giving it to his friend to have him read it. And his friend's like, that didn't happen to you. That happened to me. <laughs> and right? And, and it, one, of the, one of the main principles was no matter, even, even the person who hold there, there's no correlation between holding strongly mm-hmm. to, to, some, uh, to something and it being true. Uh, and so I, I just shifted my mindset into I'm wrong and I don't know what ways or to what degree, which does not mean I'm not right. It just means I'm not going to hold so tightly to this thing. I'm going to allow it to change. That's powerful. 
it seems that's kind of where you're headed with this idea of, of learning and setting strategies and sensing and pulling the information in. Yeah. So what you just described, the academics called retrospective coherence, meaning when we look backward, we tend to organize the anchors of our story in a way that they're coherent and they make sense to us. And this is an example of a cognitive bias. So one of the features of my book is that I spend some time saying our minds trick us and that an important part of of understanding how to think strategically is to understand how our mind does tend to trick us. And one of the important uh, micro skills is called metacognition, another fancy word, but basically it means the ability to monitor your thinking, your skills, and your feeling, and then to regulate changes so that you go in the direction that you want to go. One of the biggest problems that we have in in all of our organizations and in society is that we only need a few little bits of data that we build together a coherent story. And that's where conspiracy theories come from. That's where you see, uh, it's called my side bias, where you'll see a lot of of, uh, top managers of organizations say, we have the best people in the business. And I have to whisper to them and say, your competitors are saying the exact same thing. (laughs) You know, and, 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 and understanding that we, our minds, bias us towards making bad judgments, I think is one of the most important things that we have to pick up on if we really want to be good strategic thinkers. How do we, or maybe how do you, uh, recommend people start developing some of these, some of these skills? And how, do you, how would you measure whether they're working? Yeah, okay. Well, um, this is kind of one of my biggest lessons learned from writing the book. I wish I knew this when I started writing it, is that I really don't, until I get to chapter four, I really don't introduce the first of these 20 micro skills of strategic thinker, thinking. Um, there's a lot in this book. and it's, it's What I'd say to the first-time reader is the first thing to do is to pick out and read the short paragraphs on each of these 20 skills of strategic thinking, like starting with curiosity. And then I also explained the Ben Franklin technique, which is you you set aside one week to focus on this micro skill. You do the best that you can. Five minutes a day is better than nothing. Five minutes a week is better than nothing. But you go through a cycle of practicing each of the 20 micro skills a week and just keep repeating. All of a sudden, you find that your mind, you start to develop the right kinds of habits of mind that will help you look at situations in a different kind of way. And then you can start to go through the book and say, oh, well, here's a story that we, all, we can all relate to. You know, like one of the examples I use is uh, Columbus and the discovery of Americas as an example of strategy and strategic thinking. Okay, everybody can understand the basic contours of that story. Now we can start to see how these micro skills start to appear within that. So um, when I go to a second edition of the book and I do the preface for that, this is the preface for the second edition, that will be one of the things that I'll say to the readers of the book is first thing to do is to skim the book and make sure that you kind of understand what these 20 micro skills are about. And most of them are pretty common sense. A few of them have some fancy names like metacognition. I, I mentioned a few. And, and kind of get yourself in the habit of looking at those things. And then 
start doing a more uh, rigorous read of the book, looking at the examples, unpacking and understand this is good strategy. This is bad strategy. This is what cleverness means. This is how ambiguity fits into the whole thing. Uh, and, and I guess that's what I'd kind of suggest as the, your, your podcast is what works. That's what works. Yeah. And this is a skill. This idea of strategic thinking seems to be it's a skill beyond the corporate world. Because I, I think the word strategy is sort of loaded in terms of, well, it's corporations and you know, we got to set. And you talk about it, you know, people set goals, but they call them strategies. Uh, and they're not the same thing. But strategy is like a corporate thing. But I find this also, and I'm curious how, to see how you've applied it and where it's worked for you. Personally, setting strategies for one's life. Mm-hmm. Because I know that at least in for the people that I talk with, a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, what what's my purpose in life? Where am I headed? And where's what's my future going to be? And they're building these structures mm-hmm. uh, for their futures to achieve some certain end. And sometimes that end is ambiguous, and they don't even know where they're headed. Sure. You know, me me too, many times, right? But strategy strategy is a universal thing. I mean, you talk about Chris Columbus. You know, it wasn't, I mean, arguably it was some sort of corporate venture to go off and discover Mm -hmm. new world, but probably beyond that, it was his own desire to just, you know, uh, like what was he, he's going to be knighted or something like that. It's one of his goals was to be powerful and achieve in just individually. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe beyond what he, you know, was going to be able to do from a, from a trade standpoint. Um, But how do you, how do you apply or do you apply these principles from an overall life strategy and what, what a person achieves or does for their, for their lives? I mean, you moved from Ohio to Florida, you know, and uh, was it, was it strategic? You know, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's make your wife happy. I don't know. Right. Or maybe. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or because the winters, you know, are, are better in Florida, but how do you apply it in a grander scheme or do you? Yeah, you do. Well, um, Back to your point, strategy is overused. It, it doesn't have to be just the big organizational strategy. And, I, and here's an example. I'm standing in the checkout line at the local local supermarket, and I see all the hobbyist magazines, five strategies for sinking long putts, five strategies for attracting a member of the opposite sex. So, uh, opposite sex. So people also use the word strategy in kind of a really low level kind of way of just a, it's just a way of getting something done, Yeah. which, you know, it's because of that, again, ambiguity that a lot of people just toss the word around strategy. And then also the word strategic, which is an adjective is far overused. Yeah. You know, it's just another way of saying this is important. A strategic plan is an important plan. A strategic market is an important market. A strategic project is an important project. And everybody puts that in that value of importance on something subjective, you know, personal to them. So that creates this, you know, big confusion out there about what it is that we're really talking about. So in my book, here's how I define strategy. And I'm, again, looking more at it as an organizational perspective. which is strategy is a specialized tool. You don't use it everywhere. It's used to advance the the interest of the organization by managing issues that have broad and long-term impact. Most organizations don't have a very good strategy. They have a list of goals and aspirations and things that someone somewhere thinks is important. 
I'm looking, I opened up my newspaper this morning, saw another company, another local company going out of business. I would, I would argue that perhaps the reason for that is not a pandemic, although that is an accelerating factor. They probably didn't have a good strategy or that could at least could be contributing to part of it. Then, then another part of the big idea around my book then, and this kind of getting it back to the personal, is that if you're an individual that seeks to have influence within an organization or within your community or anywhere, you need to, to be branded, to be thought of as a good strategic thinker. And I try to give some ideas of how can you help position your personal brand so that when people, you know, see Jason Todd, He's a good strategic thinker. I want to pull him into and get his thoughts on these issues that we're trying to deal with. Past that, it's just the day-to-day is full of noise. And and really, the word strategy in the day-to-day sense for the individual is just another way of issues management. Right. Groping and grappling and getting through the the things that are right in front of them that day. I think it goes back, for me at least, uh, to something I heard some time ago where you know we are we as kids are taught what to think and rarely taught how to think mm-hmm. and so it's no wonder that people grow up and mess all sorts of things up because there's no framework for thinking things through mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes we even believe things that are contrary and and the le- the lesson that was given to me at the time was uh this the saying of the early bird gets the worm mm-hmm. we'll go yes the early bird gets the worm and we'll also hold this contrary thought, which is good things come to those who wait. So is it the early bird getting the worm or is the good things coming to those who wait? Because those are, those are different. Yeah. They're completely different thoughts and nobody thought it through as they were going, Oh, the early bird gets the worm. I believe it. They weren't thinking, wait a second, is that really true? And being thoughtful about it in some probably beginning with the curiosity, like why is that even, is it even possible and then building a framework for how to how to think how to be thoughtful because like, that's the word that's coming to my mind. Strategic strategic has a lot to do with thoughtfulness and and a framework for thinking that can be applied to organizations, can be applied to individuals, can be applied to relationships, can be applied to anything like you're talking about. This any anything that has a forward thinking, it's kind of long term and a broad set of uh, things that need to be brought together. Is that? Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think that, you know, so yeah, we all need to learn how to think better. And, and maybe some of that comes through our life experiences. I, I don't think I could have written this book when I was 30 years old, mm. but I think I'm writing it for people who are, are 30. Yeah. And so my life's lived experiences have kind of gone through, oh, there must be a methodology a set of practices that one needs to master. And if one need, and if one can master those things, one will be successful to come to the realization, the, the wisdom that there's a lot of ways to get to the end point. And that it's really, it's, as you're saying, it's, it's the idea of being thoughtful is, is kind of where it's all at. And, and, and we live in cultures where this thoughtfulness is not often venerated in our cultures. You know, it's action, impulsive, doing kind of thing. To, to walk on two legs, you know, and it's the two legs of doing, is one part of this has to be doing. And I know you recently talked about strategic doing. But also the other part is, is strategic, let's call it contemplation. Because to me, doing and thinking are the same thing. 
when I am thinking, I am doing. Part of our challenge in our organizations is that this this smacks of academics. It it, it seems elitist, and, and our culture here in the United States at least doesn't fully grasp this. So one of the things that I tell my audiences is this, is that nobody needs to know that you're thinking strategically. That's something that you can keep to yourself, but it's in the questions that you ask, it's in the decisions that you make, it's in the way that you strike the balance between impulsiveness and contemplation. That's what other people are going to see in you. So it's to try to to train within the individual, give them the challenge to say, think about things in a different and better kind of way. It'll manifest itself into action that other people will notice and that will be beneficial for you if, if you're looking at your career. It will be beneficial to your organization if you can be part of the dialogue that leads to the creation of good strategy and not bad strategy. You're very articulate in how you uh, speak about this topic. I'm wondering if did that, did your ability to understand that, but not only understand, but be able to articulate it back, did that come through writing the book or did that come before writing the book? Um. I think the articulus and the, the passion and all of this comes as a result of, of, I think to be a good writer, you have to think clearly about what it is that you want to write about. Yeah. And I can tell you, I have written a lot of really crappy words on the topic of strategic thinking. Unfortunately, nobody's been subjected to too many of those crappy words. So it's in the, it's, it's in the articulation and thinking about what it is that I want to say Remembering that, that I, I want to put my audience first. I exist to serve my audience. That's where a lot of it comes from. Some of the articulation comes before just because over the years I've been paid to write. and I've been paid to be up on a stage to express myself. And that just, that just sort of comes from the practice of a, of a queer. Yeah, you found, it, you, you found it to be beneficial to choose your words. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me. Because, you know, years, years ago, I would, I would, in my family, I would say something and I would, I would choose the word properly. And, uh, and I would sometimes correct other people's words, which is never something probably to, to do to a person, uh, certainly not a family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it was, I'm not sure if it was looked down upon, but it was sort of criticized. And I thought, well, but I, I found there to be value in, thinking about how to say something, to really think, is that what I want to say? Now, you mentioned that your book took you five years and you thought it was going to take you 18 months, which resonates with me because I've talked about writing a book for a, for a very long time, and I've even started writing a book. Uh, and I might be 3,000 words into this book that I thought I was going to finish by the end of the year. Um, <laughs> and and one of the things I get hung up on, I'm wondering if you, you get hung up on this too, is is making sure that what I'm saying is exactly what I mean. And is it exactly right in the ski, in the scope of my understanding? Is that really true? And is it really what I want to say? How much, how much do you personally get wrapped up in any of that? Or have you figured out how to just let it things flow? No, uh, I, I still struggled with it to, to the day. I've been working on uh, a little writing project here for the last month or so. And I'm still, I, I, I have thousands of words written down, but I think only a few hundred right now that I'm pretty pleased with. 
Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I, I think you just gotta have to, I don't, I don't, if there truly are people that can just say what they're, what they mean and it comes right out there perfectly, that's great. Uh, but it hasn't been a case that I've been able to find. It's a, it's a real struggling to find the right combination of ideas. And then, then again, to put it in a way, recognizing that, that I'm here to honor my audience. Uh, I, I'm here to be a curator. I, I often use that idea. I'm a curator, just like a museum curator. There's, there's lots of stuff that I could tell you about. I'm going to try to give you the best of the best. And it's, it's in the process of doing that. That's why it takes so long. How do you organize it all? How do you organize all your thoughts on strategic thinking and your speaking and the things that you're curating? Because I, I find that this curiosity in you, you're probably connecting things all the time. You're, you, I mean, you, you mentioned that there's, uh, used an example from the local paper today. Mm-hmm. and pulled that in you you are i agree with you i like the i love the name of curator um mm-hmm. how do you keep track of all that stuff do you have a systematic process for it that enables you to apply it in the future or do you just consume and let it sit uh it's probably a little bit more of the latter so so if you could see the desk that's in front of me I, i'm not a neat desk person okay. which my wife will quickly point out to me and, and that's probably part of my organizational pattern is it's to collect, but then to go take a walk and look for an insight. And one of the things that I write in my book is insight is the secret sauce of strategy. Mm-hmm. That when you're trying to think strategically and you're not quite sure where to go with your thinking, search for an insight, search for a realization, something that pulls things together. Now we'll share with you, since you're asking for organization, one technique that I teach to people yeah. And, and this is what I call my strategic thinking lab book. Okay. And um, I mentioned earlier, of course, I, you know, I'm trained as a scientist. Yeah. This book here is dedicated just to ideas and reflections and things that I observe and, and presentations I've gone to that are all around strategy. And I've got a couple of others that have gone. And this is one of the things that I have my clients do as part of our coaching experience is to purchase a, 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 a inexpensive little book like this, and it's dedicated solely to the idea of strategy and strategic thinking. And then I come back and I look through this, and it's like, you know, all sorts of head-slapping moments come back to me in doing that. I, I mentioned the micro-skills technique uh, earlier. Often when I'm on one particular week's worth of micro-skills, I take and write down some things that I'm doing in my little research. I go out into a web a little web search on it, and I see something interesting, and I just mark it down, and then I'll find myself coming back to it later later on, and say, "Ah, oh, that that helps a lot." One recent example of that is is around resilience. So one of the strategic thinking micro skills is personal resilience, okay. and I it was my week for doing personal resilience and I went out and I found some interesting little things that other people have written and researched around resilience. I popped them into that book. Well, it turned out that when the uh, pandemic really caught all of us to be living inside, I found that a whole bunch of people wanted to know about resilience Hmm. and I pulled those things out and I've been able to establish some thought leadership around the idea of resilience and the connection of good resilience to, uh, to strategy. I, I think that the word of nineteen, of the word of twenty twenty, the dictionary word of the year is going to be resilience. That's my opinion. Yep. 
That's probably true. Yeah. Because it's everywhere. I I read something and it was some time ago, and I don't remember the specifics of it, but the one of the markers of an individual's long-term success was resilience, mm-hmm. their ability to bounce back from situations that they that that would be introduced into their lives. Circ- you know, the, those unplanned circumstances, like we've experienced recently with the COVID thing, sure. um, because the people. Pe- pe- we can all go through the same experience, but the people who can bounce back from it will, will turn that into success and turn it into strength. How, so back to your notebook thing, how do you determine what's worthy of writing down in a notebook? Oh, I try not to be too discriminating. I think it's better to have a bias towards put it down there and see if it turns out to be truly interesting and useful a little bit later on. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, so, so I, I would go for quantity, not quality, and, and just try not to be too judgmental in that. Uh, because it's an important part is, is we're trying to find the weak signals or what, what I also often refer to as pockets of the future in the present. So some things that we're not noticing right now might turn out to be really important in the future. Yeah, that's interesting. Weak signals, pockets of the future in the present. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting way of looking at. It. Do you reread your notebooks, or do you I do? Just as a probably not as a systematic process, but you probably uh, once in a while you get curious and you go back and read it. How do, how does that work? Oh, there's no real rigor to that, but like I'm I'm just saying, you know, I think I'll go sit in a different chair for a minute and, yeah. and get get away from looking at the computer screen for a while. I might just pick it up, go over, sit out, and just just see what pops up. Yeah, for me, I became disappointed many years ago uh, because I would I would experience the phenomenon where you it's like having a ha- having having a dream and then you forget the dream and you're like, but the dream was so good and and that applies to ideas. I had this idea, oh, the idea was so good and it was forgotten because it wasn't written down. So I got into a discipline where I would write. I got similar notebooks and now I use them electronically. Um, where I would write down the idea and given enough information, like a paragraph that I could remember it. I could recreate it uh, at some point in time when I read it in the future, because I thought ideas are gold. They're like the, the, they're, they're the, they're those connections in our mind that just are randomly created. um, And actually not probably not randomly, but they're, they're created in the moment. And I, and what your way of, your way of talking about that is that something in the future uh, I think it's so true. There have been a lot of times in my life where I've seen that I've, I've, I've gone, Oh my gosh, I, I thought of that. And then I pull it back and think, Oh, that's the connection. And then some things die, but I don't think they actually do. They, they don't, they don't go away. They just are reshaped, reformed into new things like clay, right? I make a, I make a creature and then I smash it down and then I reuse that clay in the future, uh, for something different. Seems yeah. like seems like that's a that's somehow a process that a person can apply to uh, to ease or move through future circumstances or create new things in the future. Yeah, I often like to say that strategy is crafted. I'm going back to that little visual of you molding some clay in some sort of way and kind of keep that in mind. I like to say that strategy is crafted and not planned. 
-hmm. It has some raw ingredients. And what we're trying to do is manipulate the raw ingredients, which are basically ideas. But some of those ideas need to be ideas about the future. You know, it's recognizing that this pocket of the future and the present may become increasingly prevalent such that it will change things completely. And, you know, it's, it's the idea of being proactive, of, of skating to where the puck is going to be. Those individuals who can see something that may turn out to be significant and find ways to organize resources around those early things, they get the early advantage in the competitive space. Yeah, And that's what we're trying to nurture in organizations is to have people being more outward looking, again, sensing and sense making, bringing that back, sharing and collaborating and trying to make sense of where are things going on going in the future, given that the future may not work out the way that we want it to work out. There may be wild cards. Have you thought about how to have strategic conversations or how to discuss strategy? You talk, you talk a lot about how to how to come up with strategy and principles for becoming a strategic thinker. Mm-hmm. It recalls to my mind this idea that there are a lot of there are a lot of great products poorly communicated that are never purchased, mm-hmm. and a lot of bad or average products that nobody needed that get a half hour infomercial, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, I need one of those." How so? If, let's say you've got this great strategy, mm-hmm. you've you've thought it through. Have you thought about how 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 to coach people into communicating strategy. Yeah, yeah. I call that process dialogue and deliberation. Okay. And, and, and one of the first ideas I'd like to share with you is that people communicate one-on-one very well, just like we're doing right now. If we had a third person in this conversation or a fourth or a fifth person in this conversation, the dynamics would change mm-hmm. and how we share our information. And, and uh, then I start to become more aware of my social positioning. I start to be more aware of peer pressure that causes me to conform to what's going on. So strategic thinking, sometimes we are very unorthodox, heretical in our approaches. The first approach is is in having dialogue, which means good, high-quality conversation between individuals, but with the idea that they're in a one-on-one, or what is called a dyad. And and so what I'll often do with organizations, I call it a combination between jury duty and speed dating. The the, the jury duty idea is that juries come together and do deep thought and deliberation so that they can come out with a conclusion and a a verdict. But the speed dating part is it's a series of one-on-one conversations. So maybe you and I talk, and then we're part of another group. You switch and get a new partner. I switch and get a new partner. We have a conversation. Again, it's, it's focused around strategy kinds of ideas. Less than 15 minutes. Switch and find a new partner. Switch and find a new partner. So, it's, so that's the speed dating part. We're, we're trying to have good, high-quality conversations one-on-one and then bringing people back together to socialize the ideas and the outputs among the larger crowd. So that gives people more time to be courageous, to spitball crazy ideas out there and, and not be so concerned about, will I be judged badly by this group for saying something that is crazy? Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So for, for organizations um, that want to develop this strategic mindset, it sounds like you have some coaching stuff that you can apply into those organizations because 
it's it strategic thinking is not just the the visionary their leadership or the management's uh responsibility it's really mm-hmm. something that can be instilled as you talk about individually and then the collective knowledge mm-hmm. and collective strategy can become the future of that organization and sometimes when we hit something like covid where arguably none of us have a great way through mm-hmm. we need the insights and the and the understanding of everybody mm-hmm. what what does an organization do in that circumstance uh, and how can they apply that? And then how do they get in contact with you to learn more? Oh, okay. Um, well, the, the first thing I, I would notice, you know, you, since you used the word vision, I'm just going to quickly comment on that, which is yeah. I don't use the word vision very much. And when people do use the word vision, I say, can we call it your preferred future? This is the future that you want to see take place. Okay. I'm okay with that. But at the same time, let's recognize that there's a probable future that may or may not overlap with your preferred future, and then there's wild cards. So an important part of strategic thinking is thinking about the future using the tools of what we call futures literacy. I'm I'm really excited about how this tool set can help us think better about strategy because we don't think about the future in a very effective kind of way. So... um, so the other part of your question, then, um, one of the things that I recommend people to do, because this is, you know, is, is a really inexpensive way to do this. I think right now this is selling for $17 on, on Amazon, uh, is I think more people that can understand the thoughts that are in here, some people step forward and say, yeah, I want to do this. And then I offer coaching one-on-one. I do also more or less traditional consulting where I'll come into an organization and interview stakeholders. I'll ask them, this is one of my favorite questions, what's the biggest challenge that your organization faces that you can do something about? And I help them achieve some consensus on that so that they can make strategic decisions and then deploy them into action. That's one way to get a hold of me. Um, My website is www.strategicthinkingcoach.com. So it's strategic thinking coach, all one word. Uh, And and that's where you can find just a little bit of a high-level brochure of who I am and what I do. Well, we were at our time, but you said something right at the end, which makes me want to makes me want to have coffee with you. Uh, which is you, you don't think people think about the future very? What was it? You talk about futures literacy. Yes. And it, what was your comment? You don't think that people think about the future very not very effectively. Effectively, there's a whole host of tools out there that are available to us that if we could just wrap our arms around these tools and start including them in our conversations, we would, we could be much more proactive individually and collectively. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. They should pick up your book then. Uh, and I, <laughs> my ideas. you know, as, as my data point uh, and for the people who are interested in things that I think about too, this, this book is really packed full of a lot of information. I found myself taking notes uh, and then almost like recreating the book because it was so, it was so packed full of stuff. One of the things I really appreciated about your pr- approach um, before we end is that you didn't belabor the point. When the point was made, you made the point instead of the next four pages are, you know, the five more examples of the thing that you could have just said 
in one paragraph. I loved that. It spoke to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thanks, thanks for your efforts. And I want to honor your journey that brought you to this point for this book, uh, because I think it's also a really good time. It's, it's a timely book uh, when people are trying to put together a strategy out, you know, out of all of the chaos um, because it's the people who can adopt a strategy out of this chaos will succeed and be resilient. Like we talked about and the people who don't will continue to flounder and they'll wonder why. So thanks for, thanks for joining me on this podcast. I appreciate it. It's nice to be on the journey with you. Thank you, Jason. Absolutely. Thanks. If you know a person working to change the world, who would be a great guest on the What Works podcast, contact me, jason at therealjtodd.com.